What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul podcast. It's your host, Chris. And today we have such an awesome guest. And you may be familiar with him, his book, and his work. It is none other than Dr. Carl Hart. All right. So he is extremely controversial. And if you don't know him, we get into, you know, his work, his book and all that. But he is a uh, a man who has been researching and studying, you know, the neuroscience and effects of drugs on the brain. And his recent book, his newest book is called Drug Use for Grownups. And there has been a good response to it, but there is, you know, a massive stigma and there's fear mongering around drug use. Well, those of you who know me, I am a recovering drug addict. All right. Drugs almost killed me. Uh, I was an addict until I was 27 years old, started with alcohol, got into prescription opioids, and I had a 10% chance of living at 2012. But in my recovery and my advocating for, you know, mental health and addiction and all these things, you know, my opinions on drugs are, you know, somewhere in between, you know, some people think that us sober people are like, get rid of all the drugs and all these things. But, you know, I discussed this with uh, Dr. Carl Hart in this episode here in Las Vegas, we legalized weed and I voted for it. So, you know, I know about how drugs can be used to help with mental health and all these things. And I talked about it with like Emil Seth when he was on and we were talking about consciousness, but anyways, Dr. Carl Hart, you know, he writes about things like harm reduction, legalization, you know, and some of his more controversial views are that people should be able to recreationally use drugs like heroin, right? So I thought this would be a great conversation. I'm so glad uh, Carl and I were finally able to link up. We've been talking about doing this for months, but, you know, he's done so many interviews. He's been on the Joe Rogan podcast. He's been interviewed by a ton of people. And I'm like, you know what? I think we'll have some fun because I am a recovering drug addict who has been completely abstinent, but I do see how we do need to change drug policies. And today, actually, they just released the new numbers that we have, you know, reached record high overdose deaths in the United States. It topped a hundred thousand because of the COVID pandemic. And I actually have a, a piece coming out in Newsweek today. So make sure you're following me on social media at the rewired soul. So you don't miss that when that goes out, but yeah, we have a massive drug problem. And that's why I read books like Dr. Carl Hart's because the opioid epidemic has been going on for well over two decades now. The drug war started in the 70s, and it's old, the, the drug problem has only gotten worse. So I'm more than happy to read someone like Dr. Carl Hart's book because we need to figure some stuff out because what we're doing right now is not working, all right? So make sure you head down to the description. Make sure you are following Dr. Carl Hart over on Twitter, and make sure you grab a copy of his book, drug use for grownups. I did a pretty extensive review of the book. I don't agree with everything a hundred percent, but I am open to the conversations and I'm glad I was able to talk with him because he did shift my perspective and things like that on a couple of the opinions that I have. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, but I really do hope that you check out this book and we start having more mature conversations around, you know, drugs, drug policy, the stigma, the demonization and all that. All right. But before we get started again, make sure you're following me on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, not just so you don't miss the article I have coming out, uh, today in Newsweek, but 
I love staying in contact with all of you, getting book recommendations and just talking about different topics from the podcast. So make sure you follow me at The Rewired Soul. And if you're new, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. All right. Because I have been doing, you know, I was doing about five episodes a week. Now it's down to about two. I might do three episodes this week. And I have some really cool bonus episodes coming for you. And those are always released on Sundays. All right. I bring in different people where it's not so focused on books. It's just a place where I can talk with people about other topics. And I have one coming out this Sunday, which is really cool. So make sure you're subscribed and follow, uh, following the podcast. All right. But anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Carl Hart about his new book, Drug Use for Grownups. All right. Hello, Carl. Thanks for joining me today. How you doing? Oh, man. Great to be here with you. Yeah, we're going to be talking about your awesome book, Drug Use for Grownups, which has been somewhat controversial in some circles and all that. Like, so, so for those who have yet to read the book, can you, can you give us an overview? I know it's a real in-depth book and you dive into all sorts of stuff, but what's the overall topic? Uh, the overall, uh, I guess the overall thing is that, um, I'm trying to help people to understand that drug use, uh, the predominant effect of drug use are, are positive ones. Um. And, uh, that, uh, I'm trying to help people to understand that our sort of discourse about drugs in this country has disproportionately focused on the negative effects. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, there's a reason for that, uh, in part, because we want to really encourage people not to do these drugs. And so we, uh, exaggerate the harmful effects and minimize any beneficial effects. Um, and then there are so mm -hmm. many people who participate in this sort of a distortion and, and we can get into that. And, and all I wanted to do was kind of like, um, uh, present an alternative perspective, a perspective that I think is more consistent with the actual evidence. And, mm -hmm. um, and then we could talk about that. There are people who disagree and why, and we can, uh, uh evaluate the, the, the quality of the evidence with my stuff, as well as with the disagreement. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, so me being a recovering drug addict, like my, my drug of choice opioids and all that, but since, you know, since quitting and just getting my life on track, like I've been very pro drug and legalization and all that, because a lot of what I learned, you know, just in, in my recovery was, you know, first off, like maybe we could talk about the drug war. Like, do you think that was kind of the catalyst for a lot of the misconceptions and the demonization? of these drugs like what's what's kind of the history of that and how is it still how are we still seeing it all these years later yeah you know i think the drug war is an easy sort of uh boogeyman if you will uh, mm -hmm. for um, any decent person to point to and say that's the problem uh, but it's not entirely the drug war it's us i mean it's mm -hmm. us um, uh, we can think about the drug war, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a way in which we think about the drug, drug war. It's a simplistic way. And it's one of these, uh, ways uh, in which I help to perpetuate. And, and as I learn more and I think about this more deeply, um, I'm also kind of embarrassed by my own participation. And I'll tell mm. you what I mean. We kind of present that the simplistic view that, uh, uh, drugs were banned because of racist uh, drug laws or what happened. Um, and you know, 
the white majority subjugated, um, despised minorities, black people, mm -hmm. Chinese, uh, Mexican Americans and so forth. Um, and that's our sort of simplistic sort of way of thinking about this. But mm -hmm. we, what we don't include is that, um, there were black people who participated in that subjugation. They were right mm. there with the white majority. There were uh, Chinese people who were right there with the white majority. There were Mexican Americans who were right there with the white majority, uh, just like today. And mm -hmm. so nothing really has changed. So when I say that uh, we have this sort of the way we think about drugs, uh, this distorted way is, is not, uh, not so much uh, or exclusively because of the drug war. It's because of us. Mm -hmm. We all participated in this sort of uh, distortion of drugs. And, um, and it was a way in, for these despised uh, minorities, uh, for example, to, to show that, hey, we're not like those bad minorities, we're yeah. good minorities. Um, and so drugs functioned, um, uh, that's one of the functions uh, of drugs then and now. Um, mm. You can hear people say things like, you know, I smoke weed, but I don't do heroin, you know, yeah. I'm not like them. Um, and so uh, again, it's this sort of virtual signaling, hey, I'm good, I'm not one of these bad people. Yeah, And, and, and so that kind of nuanced picture um, I hadn't previously really uh, presented in, in part because um, uh, I was trying to get to another place. And then as a result of publishing this book um, mm -hmm. and then seeing some of the, the criticism, uh, by the way, it's been predominantly positive, the feedback, but mm -hmm. uh, it, it just made me realize that I really need to address this issue um, because, um, I, I have contributed to this sort of sim simplistic view, uh, mm -hmm. of, uh, that we have in turn, what, what regards to the drug war. Yeah. So, and, and it's interesting that you say that too, because I even think of just when, when I was heavily into like opioids and drinking and stuff, even my demonization, right? Like when I got into pills, I was like, but I'm not like those heroin people. Right. And. Right it's right. just it's exact same substance you know what right i mean on, right, right, uh, right, right and right. and you know i realized that and then you know once i you know started getting you know my stuff together and realized like hey like this is destroying my life and all that like i sat back and i started realizing okay these are the same category you're no different than me and all that but i guess i i guess like for me you know because i i wanted to have you on here because maybe you could help me understand a little bit because i've been told a story in my you know recovery and all that and, you know, I guess a good place to start is like the different drugs, right? So here's, here's kind of my understanding, right? So you got, let's start with weed, right? Pretty safe. Never hear about anybody overdosing on weed. If they get hooked, I think of it more of like a behavioral addiction. Like I live in Las Vegas, so we got people who gamble and all that stuff, right? But then you got, you know, heroin, which gives this huge burst of dopamine. It makes me feel good. And then you have drugs like, you know, meth and psychedelics, psychedelics being less addictive, right? But meth, people get hooked on that and they destroy their lives. So I guess like one of my questions is, are there different levels of addictiveness per substance or am I, or the large majority of us looking at this in the wrong way with how they affect the brain? 
Yeah, I, I guess it, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 and but that's cool, you know. Just starting with the whole dopamine thing. Don't ever um, explain drug effects by looking at dopamine or seeing mm. neural neurotransmitter. That's just like um, um, that's like uh, saying that I can tell you lied because your nose grew like Pinocchio. That's mm. fairy tale. That's kind of bullshit. That stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, like the brain doesn't work in the way that the general population thinks of it in terms of like a single neural transmitter. You know, yeah. dopamine dopamine represents less than 1% of the brain neurotransmitters. And when mm -hmm. we think about all the complex sort of behaviors and emotions that go along with drug use or any other sort of activity in like, uh, uh, why would a single neurotransmitter that represents less than 1% of the brain neurotransmitters be responsible for that. And then we mm -hmm. think about how neurotransmitters interact. Um, they are co-released, they are co-localized. Mm. They are, I mean, all of this complexity that this uh, sort of dopamine uh, um, uh, account or theory uh, don't even come close to. And, and it's, so we've peddled this out to the general public who know nothing about like neuroscience, but then they say dopamine and they appear to like know something they know, they know terminology. That's all they know. So that's, mm -hmm. that's, we go wrong there. Uh, and then when we start thinking about the sort of a, the potential of other, uh, of these different substances, I mean, we have epidemiological data to say that, um, oh, I don't know, less than 10% of the people who use cannabis but will uh, meet criteria for substance use disorder at some point in their life. Uh, methamphetamine, about the same. Uh, mm. We think about alcohol, just a little higher. Um, we think about something like cocaine, 15 to 20%. We think about something like uh, heroin, 25 to 30%. We think about uh, tobacco, nicotine, 33%, a third of those people will become uh, 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 addicted at some point in their life based on epidemiological data. But then mm -hmm. we're, we're not taking into account some of these things are legally available and others are not. And the drug mm. uh, availability also impacts uh, um, its ad uh, addictive potential. So uh, it's difficult to uh, really predict based on that. But you raised an issue about some like heroin versus uh, cannabis or cocaine. Mm -hmm. uh, we think about physical dependence where you have a withdrawal syndrome uh, when you uh, stop long-term use of, of, of something like heroin. But whereas with something like cannabis, it's not as, uh, as prominent um, or something like cocaine, it's not as prominent. And so, of course, that's important. Uh, and so you want to make sure that you can treat the withdrawal, especially if it's withdrawal from something like alcohol, because people can die. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you want to make sure that's taken care of. So th those are unique features about drugs that are important. But when we start talking about this drug has this grip on you, this hold on you, again, mm -hmm. now we're starting to get into fairy tale language. Um, mm -hmm. And then you can think about this too um, in terms of the people who met criteria for addiction at some point in their life related to those drugs. The person who was addicted to crack and then they overcame that addiction, mm -hmm. that person now has that sort of crack identity. They are uh, tougher than the average person because they beat it. Same is true with the person who was addicted to heroin. They have that identity. They beat it. Um, that, uh, uh, less of a man wouldn't have been able to do that sort of thing. And, mm -hmm. and so that's something that people are kind of proud of. But mm -hmm. that's a... But, 
those kind of things also are are um, part of the problem. Um, mm. It's it's like no, you're not special. I mean, and and those and 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 it's, it, and those people. There are a number of people who did the same thing, and a number of people can do the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but but if we start to look at like the age at which people were addicted, so a number of people say, well, you know, I was in my twenties, I was younger, and and it's like. Yeah, many of us have done some things in our 20s that we weren't as good at then, but we're mm -hmm. a heck of a lot better at doing it now. But mm -hmm. only with drugs, we act like it was the drug and not your level of maturity, not your sort of skill set, not your increased knowledge. All of these things play an important role. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, um, but people hold on to those identities. And they say uh, they're holding on to the, when they hold on to those identities, um, they are basically said, you can't do this because you're not, you're not me. You're not strong enough or, mm -hmm. or, or it makes me feel like I'm strong. Um, and the, the people who are trying to ban drugs are happy to join forces with those people. And so mm -hmm. all of these people participate in this sort of uh, in these distorted stories, the people who make movies, people who do documentaries. Um, I think the dope sick, that new sort of series. Oh yeah, I've been meaning to check that out. Yeah. yeah. All this nonsense is in the public, uh, cause they're mm -hmm. all, uh, colluding to tell the story that is inconsistent with mm -hmm. human behavior. But, um, but we all buy it when it comes to drugs, but we won't buy it for anything else. But when it mm -hmm. comes to drugs, we buy it. So. Speaking, speaking of dope sick, that's about the sacred family and all that, right? Yes. Right. So, so here, here's where I wonder, because like, for example, last year, I think the numbers came out. We had like record number of like overdoses and all that. And, you know, like I said, my, my drug of choice was prescription opioids. So for you, how do you, how do you view the, the story of the opioid epidemic? Because the story that I've heard that I understand is that they came out with Oxy, super addictive. Uh, they're, they're, they're drug marketers and salespeople. They went out and they were like, hey, push this, push this, push this. No, it's not addictive, all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden, people are getting these pills, becoming dependent on them, right? So I know there's like this difference between dependence and, you know, and addiction because you were talking about withdrawal and all that. But since that has happened, we've had record numbers of overdoses, people being hooked on pills, people going from pills to heroin. So how, how do we understand that? Like, I, I'm, I'm wondering how Carl Hart sees that story, right? Were these all people, cause like you mentioned, like young people would do dumb shit. Like I, like I, I was doing it during my twenties. So I definitely agree. I had no life skills. I had nothing, you know? So we, we also see like, stay-at-home moms or people with injuries just becoming hooked. So how do you view that story that we're being told about the opioid crisis? Uh, I don't know if you read a piece by Sally Sattel. I think it was in Salon, but I could be, I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, Sally, uh, she might be working on a book on this now. Uh, Sally Sattel is a psychiatrist and I think she's at the American Heritage Foundation, one of these uh, conservative think tanks in uh, DC, but uh, Sally is uh, pretty smart. Um, and she went to West Virginia and kind of investigated this whole thing. And mm. she wrote, she wrote a nice piece about this, how people tell these convenient stories about, okay, the mom who uh, got addicted on these pills and then she had problems. She was 
she had a prescription and now then she had this problem because she got hooked by her doctor and so forth. And Sally uh, nicely followed a few people and um, she might have expanded it. And I think in her upcoming book, um, uh, she show, what she shows is that um, many of these people had issues long before uh, they mm. were taking these opioids. And, and it was clear. Yeah. Uh, but this is like conveniently uh, uh, um, ignored or omitted from our sort of national sort of story about mm -hmm. this. Um, that's that's one thing. Uh, and then this notion of uh, OxyContin being super addictive, uh, that's just, it, uh, it, it's, it blows my mind. First of all, uh, one of the things that we believe in the field of drug abuse is that um, the more immediate a drug is the brain, the mm -hmm. more the, the sort of addictive potential of the drug. Now, oxycodone was being sold in oral preparations, oral sort of administration of drugs, alcohol notwithstanding for a, a number of reasons we can talk about, but oral preparations of drugs um, hit the brain a lot slower than intravenous mm -hmm. or smoked or snorted. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the, the notion that oxycodone is, is, is more addictive than these other things, that's not, that isn't what was at dispute here. Uh, I think the drug company, um, um, wanted it and got it to be scheduled at a lower schedule than schedule two, where it belonged. And then, uh, but even at schedule three, it still has some addictive uh, potential and everybody knows that. Um, and then so uh, like uh, Sackler is this evil company and they might very well be, but what they did with oxycodone trying to get it uh, or, or managing to get it scheduled at a lower schedule. When I say lower, I mean higher, like three as opposed mm -hmm. to two. Um, um, that's what these pharmaceutical companies all do. They yeah. all do this kind of thing. <laughs> That's, that's number one. And, and number two, like you still have your physicians, you still have the patient, uh, the person who's taking the drug still has responsibility to say, yo, I, I, you know, I'm start feeling myself getting hooked. They're checking in with that physician supposedly, uh, mm -hmm. every month to get refills if they are. And so you got all of these people who are supposed to be doing their job or ensuring that the, the, the people don't have problems. I mean, all of this kind of, for some people, uh, went awry, but not for everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so this simplistic story that people are telling it, it, it just, what it says is that you, the American adult, uh, are not an adult. You yeah, have no responsibility. And that's dangerous because now we set ourselves up to be told what to do by the government and everybody. And, mm -hmm. and, and people seem to be willing to sacrifice that autonomy, that liberty, uh, and, and um, when it comes to drugs. And so that, that's a little disturbing. Now we go to the overdose numbers. Now, mm -hmm. in the book, I tried to make this very clear that these overdose numbers, uh, first of all, how they count, who counts them? The, the people who count these overdoses are coroners, or they're the ones who collect this data, and then the data goes to the CDC. Coroners and medical examination and medical examiners. Medical examiners are required to have um, um, a medical degree, and most of them have uh, some training in uh, forensic pathology. Um, whereas coroners, the only thing that they're required mm. is to maybe have a high school diploma and to be a registered voter. Um, and uh, in a place like California, for example, I think they have about 58 counties, and 
nearly 50 of those counties have as their sort of main person to do this. Uh, it's the corner at the, the corner. He is the sheriff in all of those places. Mm -hmm. Now you can see how that it can be a potential conflict of interest. There have been issues where the sheriff um, uh, have concealed uh, police killings. Mm -hmm. um, and then there have been uh, scientific papers showing that um, um, these police killings, for example, is a between, they take like a, they took like a 15 year period and they showed that there were like 17,000 uh, fewer deaths counted as um, police killings when they yeah. should have been counted as police killings. And so you can see how people have these conflicts of interest. Now, when we think about the opioid, this whole opioid thing, uh, many of these, uh, the vast majority of these things, nobody ever takes like drug levels to determine the toxicity because most of these people have multiple drugs on board um, mm -hmm. when they die. Uh, a number of, a fair number of these people committed suicide. A fair number of these uh, uh, deaths are, are homicides. Um, um, so when you add in, um, Multiple drugs involved, suicide, homicide, uh, also uh, tainted drugs that people get. Mm -hmm. they, they think they have heroin when, in fact, they have fentanyl. Of course, fentanyl is more potent, just simply meaning uh, less of it is required to produce an effect. And you can see how somebody might accidentally overdose on that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, that's an easy problem to fix. And so when we look at uh, like what's really going on, Mm -hmm. It's a solvable, a simple issue, and yeah. but we are more invested in um, exaggerating this number and blowing this number up because so many people benefit. Local yeah. law enforcement benefit. There are funds now for the opioid crisis, for corners, for law enforcement, for all of these people. And so it's like, why should they tell a different story? And uh, yeah. people will... And people act as if this is a surprise. And, and anyway, it just, it just blows my mind to see yeah. how we get duped over and over when people, I mean, like me and other folks have been saying, hey, just take a step back and let's see exactly why people are dying. Yeah. No, I 1,000% I agree. There's so much more nuance. And like you said, there's so many conflicts and everything. You discuss this in the book, how a lot of overdoses have multiple substances right like xanax for example people don't really overdose on xanax but you start mixing with alcohol and all these other things so and and i do want to talk about you know the legalization all these other things but before we get there like mike uh you were talking about uh you know with these people that had issues before they started the drugs like something like i worked in you know uh, a treatment center for a few years and like me i'm very open and honest about my my history like i grew up with like an alcoholic mom i had a traumatic childhood suffered from depression anxiety i had no coping skills didn't even know about mental illness and i was using substances to cope right so yeah. like that's what i was doing but you know I, I i forgot the statistic but it seemed like most people who become addicted have dual diagnosis, like they have an underlying mental illness. So I guess the question that I've been wanting to ask you since I read the book was before we get to a place of legalization, because obviously like, like, uh, I forgot the name of the authors, but they came out with the, that term deaths from despair, right? People who have economic issues, living in poverty, untreated mental illness, these people are more likely to abuse substances. Do you think that we have to focus on these economical and social issues before we can get to a place 
where we start being a little bit more lenient because if people are still miserable, aren't they more likely to abuse these substances and have it develop a problem because of those underlying issues? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, no, when have we ever had to do that kind of thing? I mean, if we, we move forward, if we see there's a problem, I mean, uh, we are one of the wealthiest nations in the history of the world, yeah. one of the most educated. Um, meaning that we can do multiple things at one time. Um, mm. uh, and not only that, um, frankly, there's not much interest in um, taking care of poor people in this country, be right. it poor white people, poor black people, poor Native Americans. And there's not um, any interest in that. I mean, when you go to our prisons, which I go to and taught in, um, the people who are there are poor white people, poor black people, uh, and America don't give a shit. I mean, so yeah. this, this notion is, uh, yeah, that's a, uh, that's a stall tactic if any, if anything. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. So, so you, you think like if, if we got to a point where we were to legalize or decriminalize these substances, like we would. We would just have to start looking at these issues as well. You don't see like a huge spike. Like if we just made like tomorrow, if we just like said, Hey, everybody could do all the drugs you want, you could, you know, like you don't see, we just see this massive spike in addiction and overdoses because they're, you know, especially with the pandemic, people are struggling right now. Yeah, no, you know, like nobody is saying everybody should do drugs, you know, so yeah. nobody <laughs> has ever said that. That certainly happened. I know people may attribute that dumb shit to me, but I, I don't say that kind of yeah. thing. I think people, you know, the main thing that I try and uh, emphasize is that people should be educated and we should yeah. make sure we have quality control. People know what they get. Mm. And so they're not dying from tainted substances, no, no, yeah. no matter what. Um, and that's number one. And just like with, uh, driving an automobile, I don't know, we, we, we have that, that's legal mm. by firearms are legal. I mean, I would want people to make sure that they get the, the proper training uh, before they actually engage in these activities as mm. well. Um, uh, and, and so, uh, that's, that's not what, what I'm saying. Yeah. And you raised a good point about the pandemic and you know, uh, people are suffering. And then as a result of suffering, does that mean that you're more likely to engage in the, in the substance use? Yeah, that might actually be, that's certainly something we should be worried about and be concerned about and keep our eyes on. And so when we think about uh, if we make these drugs legally available, we legally regulate the market, we want to make sure we think about the unit dose that people mm. are allowed to purchase. Uh, the formulations, you know, oral versus some other preparation. We want to think about all of these things carefully. We want to think about, uh, the, you know, the, the, do we have do they do people have to have a level of competency with the the the, the, the drugs like we do with driving? I don't know if that's the way to go, mm. um, but um, the thing is, we want to think about all of these things, taking into consideration the the, the uh, excellent point you raised about the pandemic and people suffering and we want to make sure we don't contribute to their suffering. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you know, there are people, no matter what we may think, there are people who are going to use substances and there always been a fair number of these people. And so, uh, 
I see my job is uh, to make sure that this activity is as safe as possible. Um, And that includes making sure that they are informed about not only the positive effects, but also the negative effects, the potential negative effects. So uh, um, I'm trying, I'm thinking about this more holistically as Mm. opposed to this sort of um, puritanical way that we have thought about this. I mean, just the basic notion of telling an adult that I, the government, uh, will tell you how you can um, enjoy yourself Mm. as long as you, I mean, when you're not bothering anyone else, you're in the privacy of your own home. That is not freedom. And people, that's the thing that just blows my mind that people... I mean, just think about this at this basic level, this basic humanity level. And and, mm-hmm. and, and so it's like, do we want to be those kind of people? If yeah. you want to be the, those kind of people, then you have to rid yourself uh, or disabuse yourself of this notion that you're the freest country on the planet, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, that's, that's what I love about, you know, the book and even the title of the book. Like, even when I see people say some dumb shit to you on Twitter, like you, you bring up the fact, like, Hey, if you're a grown up, if you're a responsible adult, you should be able to do these things. Right. Like I, like, I, I recently wrote a piece about, you know, they always talk about like censorship and stuff like that on social media and stop spreading misinformation. And I, I think about like, we need some personal responsibility. Like people should be educated on how to spot fake news. Like they need to take that in their own hands. And, and, you know, when it comes to this stuff, like I, I'm definitely on on the same page, like just as somebody who was screwed on my life, I get a little cautious, but I I 1000% agree, like when you implement things like uh, education and regulation and stuff, like I don't think people understand how many of these uh, overdoses are attributed to like, like you said, like these mixtures and these tainted drugs, right? So you... We were trying to set this thing up, but you were recently traveling. And I know, I know you, uh, you know, you know about how other countries are handling this and something that's a major issue here in the United States is because of the lack of legalization and because of the stigma, we can't even test these drugs, right? There was a, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the YouTube channel, Psych Substance, but he's like a big like drug channel. He has like over a million subscribers. He mainly does like psychedelics and stuff, but he, he would, uh, he worked with a company that would sell drug testing kits and YouTube hated it. Right. And it's like, are you serious? We're trying to help people do it. See that that'd be like saying, Oh, you're not allowed to talk about condoms or, you know, whatever. Like we're trying to make it safe. So, so yeah. Can you, can you discuss, I guess, two-parter the, uh, like why we need to be able to, you know, test and regulate these drugs and how are other countries doing it where we've seen positive results? Yeah, so short of legally regulating the market, uh, we should, at the very least, uh, countries wealthy as ours have drug checking facilities, similar uh, uh, these facilities where people can just send in small samples of their substance, um, 10 milligrams or so, and then they get a printout of the sort of dose um, um, and then also uh, what's actually in the substance. If there are contaminants, they get educated about uh, the potential harmful substance that that is in their substance. Um, and, and then we will, that will go a long way in cleaning up the market because even people who sell drugs will know that you can't sell 
nonsense to people because they know. And mm -hmm. so that that functions to keep the market um, a, a little better with higher quality uh, substances. I mean, this happens in places like Spain, the Netherlands, where they have these sort of direct drug checking facilities. Um, and, 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 and so people have said that these kind of things encourage drug use, um, uh, like, uh, telling people, handing out condoms, encourage sexual behavior. Yeah. I mean, both of them are, you know, of course it's, it's, it's nonsense. But one of the things that, that we know is that those places where drug checking facilities are located, they certainly don't have the kind of overdoses that we're concerned about mm -hmm. in our country. And so that, that's one of the sort of things that. I have uh, had the pleasure of observing in places like Spain, um, even Colombia, Austria, uh, now in Switzerland, uh, mm -hmm. the UK has some version. And so um, uh, we're one of the few countries that do not do this. Yeah. And so, so I'm here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and when was it 2016, we voted to legalize weed, right? So there's dispensaries all over the place. Like they're, they're like Starbucks here in Vegas now, but anyways, I'm curious because I'm not sure how they do it in other parts of the country where they have it legalized. But from what I understand, like these dispensaries, like they have to they have to go through like qualified vendors who are testing their stuff. It meets certain regulations. So I'm curious, like if if you're looking at this kind of future, if people like hopped on board with some of your ideas, do you see that as kind of like a model for this kind of like you know uh, like prescription meds aside, but like psychedelics and things like that. Do you see this kind of regulation where there has to be strict testing and guidelines before it reaches the consumer? Yeah. You know, so like, uh, let's be clear here. Um, uh, one of the reasons that the war on drugs has continued for so long and that why it continues today, it's because of money. There mm -hmm. are a lot of people making a whole lot of money off of our current scheme. Um, and so if we're going to change our policy, then that means that we're going to have to make sure those people are taken care of their jobs. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to retrain them, redirect their efforts and so forth. This is one of the areas where we can retrain folks and make sure that they have jobs because we don't, I, I don't care. I don't want to put people out of, out of work. I think people should be working. It's better for all of us. Um, uh, but uh, if we had people uh, uh, playing a role in the quality control, just mm. like we do with alcohol. Just yeah. like we do with our foods, all of these sorts of things we can have, we can hire people in this sort of uh, role. I mean, just like you, I'm sure you all have in Nevada, like they have in a number of places, like the cops, uh, they have found out how to even make money off of uh, cannabis legalization. Like with this mm -hmm. whole security thing, you have to have all this sort of security, yeah. special licenses that either way, they are good. And that's what this is about. This is about money. When you mm -hmm. show them how to replace their money, they're okay, but they're protecting their money. That's what mm -hmm. the war on drugs is all about. And yeah. so if we could, if we, we show people that we still need people to keep people safe and happy, and this is how you do it in a way that is consistent with the principles of the country. Yeah. So this is something like, cause I'm sure you've thought about this. Cause I, I'm, I'm this dude who's like, you know, big pharma, these money making mofos, right? But like, it doesn't make sense to me. Cause you think that they would hop on board because we're talking about money, right? So yeah. like. 
Purdue or, you know, uh, Pfizer or whoever, Johnson and Johnson, if they came out, like if they lobbied and said, Hey, let's start selling psilocybin, right. Or MDMA, let's legalize this. They would be the go-to to not only make it and sell it like right now, a bunch of non, you know, non-tax paying drug dealers are making all the money. Right. So that's, that's where I get confused because I'm like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it make them more money? Like, wouldn't it make sense for them to push for legalization so they can take the money from the drug dealers and stuff that's getting imported? Like, why, why aren't they doing that? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, I mean, like cocaine has been around forever. Heroin has been around forever. They can't patent it. They can't say that this mm. is the, our exclusive co compound, you know? And so yeah. as a result, um, they, they don't really, really have any interest in that. You know, when they figure out how they can uh, have these exclusive rights to these compounds, uh, then they'll be on board. But until that happens, uh, they're not going to be interested. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that, <laughs> that makes sense. Like, cause if it's a plant, you know, and then people can just, you know, grow it and stuff like that, 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 that's wild. But, um, you know, with, with some of these things too, cause uh, I, I think, I think we talked in the book. Yeah, you do. You talk in the book about harm reduction too. And that's something I've been meaning to talk with you about too. So a lot of, a lot of this stuff can be put under the umbrella as of harm reduction, right? Education could be harm reduction. Absolutely. A safe use facility could be harm reduction. Absolutely. Using clean needles can be harm reduction. Sure. When no, we sure. talk about harm reduction, because this is one of those terms, right? It's just this blanket statement. How do you, I, I guess, how do you view harm reduction? Or do you think we need to change the language around harm reduction? What does that look like to you? Yeah, you know, in the book, one of the things I, I advocated for is just changing the term uh, because of, um, when we think about harm reduction, it's just what you said. It's all of these things. It's even, uh, this morning I brushed my teeth. Uh, I, I, did, <laughs> I was, I was in the car. I put on a seatbelt that's harm reduction, mm. but we don't, we don't call it harm reduction if it's outside of the drug world. And so what we do with drugs mm. is that we pair harm and drugs, harm and drugs, harm and drugs, harm and drugs. And that constant, consistent, uh, chronic pairing of these terms um, shapes people's uh, thinking about this, attitudes, behaviors. And so what I'm mm. advocating for is just disentangling the harm from the drugs and, uh, mm. and such that we just simply call it some like uh, education, um, common sense, you know, all of these things yeah. that, that it is. And, and one of the things that some people have kind of glommed on to my critique about disassociating the term harm from drugs is that uh, some idiots have said things like, um, uh, you know, I'm against harm reduction. It's like, what kind of dumb shit is that when I'm <laughs> yeah. advocating for these practices? You know, yeah. but people have actually said that kind of thing. And I got to tell you, it, annoy, it annoys me because, you know, I've been in this space for so long and been in this space in this sort of way of saying things that other people were afraid to say on the behalf of people who are suffering, on the behalf of the people who are despised. And then mm -hmm. some idiot gets to like make this stupid ass critique of yeah. what I said. And so that just, um, and it, it, as you could see, it really yeah. infuriated me uh, because, you know, it's like, um, uh, we're online, as you know, people can be these yeah. sort of keyboard warriors, warriors. And, and they don't, when you are in person and they won't, you can't meet, they won't challenge you. So you can have a discussion yeah. and you can 
point out the fallacies in these arguments uh, uh, yeah. and the public gets to see. And so we all uh, get to say, well, that wasn't so smart. Yeah. Like I, I, I am such an avid reader. I, I read so much. And one thing that drives me up the wall is seeing these like articles that come out about a book and like simplify it down to like, you know, a thousand word essay saying, here's what, here's what Dr. Carl Hart thinks, or here's what this person thinks. I'm like, are you, they, they spent years and put it within hundreds of pages and you're going to reduce it down to this. So, uh, I I've seen some of these, uh, you know, these ridiculous critiques or claims about your work, like, and, and I know you have been getting, you know, a lot of positive feedback, which is good. Cause I think people are seeing through some of that bullshit, but what do you think are like, or even if, you know, if it's one or two, like the biggest misconceptions about what you're advocating for or what you're fighting for, like how, what, what is, what are they thinking that you, that you're trying to do? Cause I've seen some ridiculous claims. Oh, you know, there are claims like he wants to make our children, make sure that our children can use drugs or he wants everybody using drugs. That's the major one. Uh, mm. Or um, uh, he thinks there are no negative effects of drug use. You know, uh, that's another one uh, that they, they say. Um, you know, it's hard to really um, take seriously some of these things. And then and, 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 and as uh, Churchill has said, you know, I know people have a problem with Churchill, but he had some nice quips. And what, mm. what he said, he's like, you'll never make it to your destination if you throw stones at every barking dog. And, yeah. and so I can't do that. Um, um, but, um, uh, some of them I, I have to address. Um, uh, but, um, uh, it, it's, it's constant work. Um, yeah. and, and I was just hoping um, that the public would just simply, um, uh, look at like my track record, like another uh, critique is that oh he's an addict in denial that's another one of those, <laughs> yeah. those things and you know people who are suffering from drug addiction of course that's a uh, that's an awful thing and and that, that you don't really want to ever besmirch anybody who are and, and so people say that kind of thing although it's not true and then you look at like my track record well you know it's like show me somebody else who has been as productive in in, in my field um, yeah. and, uh, you know, my kids are, are super doing super well, all of these my life is like mm -hmm. great. Um, I travel all over the world, um, you know, all of these kind of things. And it's like, um, uh, and, uh, I'm a professor and my classes are always so popular and, um, mm -hmm. I treat people well with respect yeah. and dignity. And it's like, uh, uh you don't want this for your kid, you know, that kind of, those kind of things. It's like, yeah. what is wrong with these people? Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it, it's really wild. And, you know, uh, a lot of what I think about when I'm reading your book or just any, any book kind of discussing this, there's, there's so much stigma attack attached to just drug use in general, that it's, it's bonkers, but you know, it's crazy. Cause I was, uh, before I got into pills, I was an alcohol, right. And you can go anywhere, you, you know, and there's, there's nothing, right. Well, they like to have a glass of wine every night. You talk about that in the book, like just chilling, you know, <laughs> taking the edge off and stuff. And it's, it's weird. And that's why I, you know, I, I respect and I appreciate the fight that you're taking on because this seems like it's going to take some massive reprogramming of society as a whole. And I'm curious. 
you know, since, since your book has come out, since, you know, uh, a lot of the, you know, popularity of it, the conversations, the good and the bad press, have you seen or heard of any movement within like policies has, has like any politician, even if you don't, you can't name names, has they been like, huh, this guy makes it a decent point because it, it just seems like, I'm like, where, where do we even start with this? Oh yeah, you know, politicians have reached out. I met with some some folks, staff, and those people. A number of people have reached out. Mm. Um, the conversation is changing. Even the National Institute on Drug Abuse, NIDA, um, you mm. know, they played a big role in perpetuating this nonsense about yeah. brain disease. The drug addiction is a brain addict. Even they are changing their language and they're making sure that uh, people understand that they are for decriminalization, not really understanding what they're saying, uh, what that means, mm. but. Uh, yeah, the language is changing and we, we have some people who have died recently, high profile deaths and drugs were suspected. Mm -hmm. And then people are raising the issue of drug checking. Um, yeah. like if those people knew what was in their substance, would they still be here today? You know, all of these things are kind of infecting the public discourse or, uh, infiltrating or, uh, being included in, in the public discourse. Um, and so, um, yeah, the level of the discourse has, uh, uh increased, uh, you, you can still do a lot of stupid things, uh, and say a lot of stupid things about drugs. Um, like you, we see this movie dope sick and these kind of things, they still continue, um, comedians, um, for example, our late night TV comedians, uh, Colbert, all of these people, they, they, they besmirch drugs while having a drink of scotch, uh, during the <laughs> pandemic every night on their show. And it's like. They don't even see the inconsistency. So you still have yeah. that kind of dumb shit going on. But um, the more we point out those kind of inconsistencies, um, mm -hmm. the less they'll be able to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I noticed that that stuff all the time, especially with, you know, alcohol and stuff like that. Like uh, the people who look down, it, especially with so many people, you, there's a story every other day of, you know, people dying from drinking, doing dumb stuff and all these other things. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, it, it's crazy that we can't even just start with weed. You know what I mean? Like we can't even just start there and be like, see, people can handle this. But, um, you know, I, I, I think we have, right. Like when we, mm. this thing is spreading, you know, uh, in terms of legal regulation, like, yeah. um, uh, you know, it's on the East coast now that, that it's spreading, um, yeah. because we figured out how to make money from it, but right. in the South, um, they still have not uh, make this move in part because of law enforcement, law enforcement still want to hold on, um, to, uh, the smell of marijuana for probable cause to fuck with mm. people. And so if yeah. you legally regulate it now, they don't have that sort of number one reason for probable cause anymore. Yeah, uh, and, and so they are they are uh, resisting uh, any movement to liberalize marijuana laws in the South. So, you know, I I have a little bit more of your time, and I'm I'm wondering too because I remember when you know when Biden got elected, and you know everybody's you know it, I, it's it's a little bit better, but that dude is really anti drug, anti weed, right? So I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, again. Then you know I I I don't see him running again. Like, where where do you think we are with like legalizing even marijuana federally? Because we can't even test. We can't even like legally test 
psychedelics for mental health issues, right? Which is nuts with all the research that shows how positive it can be. So I'm sitting here like, we got at least another 10 years of no federal legalization. So where do you see it? Are you more optimistic than I am right now with all this? I think I share your view. You know, I, I mean, you just said my thoughts uh, better than I can say them. Um, I absolutely agree with you. Um, uh, uh, Biden, uh, I don't, I don't know if he's better than Trump on drugs. I really don't know this. Uh, and so, um, yeah, he's, he's certainly not to step up. I mean, I can't think of a president outside of Jimmy Carter who was, um, okay in our recent history on drugs. I mean, they have all been awful, uh, from Reagan to Bush one Clinton, um, uh, Bush two, Obama, um, Trump. I mean, they've all been awful on drugs and the current guy. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm wondering like, you know, what are, what are some solutions that we could do? Like somebody listening right now, they're going to go pick up your book. Like, you know, like me as a parent, right. My son's 12. He knows about, you know, my struggles and everything. Uh, my mom, you know, she's, you know, she quit drinking and stuff. So I, I talk to my son, I educate him, but you know, uh, I think, I think they dialed back on dare a little bit in schools because it was useless, but like, what, what can average people do? Does it start on these local levels and local conversations and voting, you know, because like, you know, in my state, we've legalized marijuana, but I, I'm a mental health guy. And like we were talking about earlier, so many people who get hooked, they, they have a history of trauma. They have a history of depression and we have these like psychedelics that can help. So I'm like, where do we start? Where, what is a, a, a realistic place we can start and action that we could take on an individual level, do you think? Yeah. So when we think about, for example, let's think about this important issue of people who are suffering from mental illnesses and, and related dis disorders. Um, you know, it's really important, you know, while like, uh, I'm, I'm a big supporter of MDMA for PTSD, for example, it's, mm -hmm. um, several studies have shown that it's, uh, effective and, um, it's working its way through the FDA. Hopefully that will be legally available for, to people in a few years at the most, hopefully. Um, but the, it's really important for people to understand when people having mental health issues, um, that at the core of many of these things when there is not an organic organic sort of brain illness uh, mm -hmm. that the core of this is um these sort of interpersonal social relationships and um the environmental issues and so the therapists people who are working with people who are suffering mental disorders they really have to help the person to understand what's mm. going on in their environment and to give the person or to ensure that the person get these skills to deal with these everyday challenges that many of us face. If we don't have those skills, if we mm. don't have those uh, interpersonal connections, social con connections, uh, relationships, um, it's going to be tough. And mm -hmm. those are the kind of things we don't talk enough about, you know, yeah. um, um, uh, or do you have a, a social, uh, uh, safety net? Do you have a network? All of these things are critically important. And if we're not talking about that with those people, then, and, and then we're thinking that some psychoactive substance, I don't care what it is, 
it's not going to work very long if you're yeah. not taking care of all these other things. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's one of the things I try to like say in the book, like, well, you know, when I'm talking about this type of drug use that I'm talking about, I'm really talking about people who have done the work and or yeah. who are currently doing the work. You know, it's a constant sort of struggle that you do the work. You want to know uh, about um, how is your behavior impacting other people? And if it's mm-hmm. negatively impacting other people, then you have to adjust or you try and make sure that, that doesn't happen. Uh, you have to be concerned about people in your yeah. environment. You can't be selfish. Um, um, there are a lot of selfish selfishness has become um, okay in this country. And, and, mm-hmm. and these are the kind of conversations about the book that we're not having. That's yeah. those are the things that I was talking about in the book. You know, our all of our personal responsibility to each other. You know, it's yeah. like what has happened is that, is that people have said, uh, oh, I have liberty. It's like, yeah, but your liberty does not extend to the point where it is disrupting other people's liberty. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not how this works. Um, the liberty comes with it a tremendous amount of responsibility. What mm-hmm. I brought into the book to try to help yeah. people understand. So when we think about people who are struggling. If the therapists who are working with these people are not emphasizing all of these kind of things, mm-hmm. um, then none of this stuff is going to work. Yeah. No, I, I am 1,000% on the same page. And just because I have another minute of your time, I'm curious, like, do you know of any resources, legal resources? Like, if there's somebody listening and they're, they're getting some shady drugs from people like when i was using pills i had to google everything on the pill because i couldn't trust anybody is there is there any kind of without like legal drug testing facilities is there anything people can do to be a little bit safer in terms of like uh checking their substances yeah Yeah, there are things like there are people who uh, sell reagent kits so you can like buy these uh, chemical kits where you take a little bit of your substance and uh, and, and you put a chemical on it and it reacts in a certain mm. way and the color tells you what, uh, what is in it or what's not in it. Um, and so they're, they're called reagent kits. You can buy those online. Um, okay. people have, uh, 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 bought those kind of things and, and that gives you some basic information. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I was wondering about that. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate it. We've been trying to set this up for a long time. I love chatting with you. So where two things, where can people find you and all the stuff that you're working on and, you know, new talks you're doing and research and all that. And then, and then one more question, you, you got anything in the works? You got another book coming out? What's going on? Yeah. So, you know, people can find me in Switzerland um, when I'm not in New York, but I'm just like, I'm really kind of enjoying my life. Uh, in fact, tomorrow I'm 55. And so I'm just like, just trying to, um, um, kind of put into practice some of the things that I said in the book, I'm working on being happy and, um, my contribution 30 years in this field, I'm happy with it. Uh, I can die. I'm good. Um, and it will stand the test of time. Uh, and so. I'm really trying to get out of the public eye, to be honest with you, man, (laughs) I am. Uh, yeah, I have no interest to be in the public. I, I just want to make sure that we are living um, um, in a way that's consistent with we say with, with, with who we say we are, uh, mm. and that we treat people better. That's that. That's it. So when there is some burning issue that I want to have something to say about, I'll say it. But in the meantime, 
you, you know, um, I got 30 years of pharmacology experience and I know how to use pharmacology to help augment my pleasure. And that's what I do. Beautiful. I love it. Well, I, I appreciate your time so much, Carl. And, and yeah, uh, happy early birthday. And we'll talk, we'll talk soon. Yeah. Good. You know, I've been wanting to do this, Chris. I gave you my number and I meant it. So you know how to get in touch with me. So I, I really meant that. And you, and you know that. So you know where I'm at, bro. Absolutely. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Carl Hart. You know, like, like I said, he has very unique and sometimes controversial opinions, but I, I did enjoy talking with him and hearing how there are, you know, politicians and policymakers, you know, looking into his work and having conversations and being open to conversations. You know, uh, when I look at the, the skyrocketing overdose deaths, I do believe aside from you know, just all the mental health issues, all the people struggling because of wealth inequality and all these other social issues. I do think that stigma and the demonization of these drugs are a major part of the problem. You know, so many people are turning to substances because they are experiencing so much suffering. And then when we are looking down on them, we are stigmatizing this and saying, oh, anybody who does drugs is just a bad person and all this other stuff. Like that is not helping. So I am glad that Dr. Carl Hart is out here talking and trying to normalize these conversations. And, you know, it's important that we have conversations around harm reduction. I've had guests on here like uh, David Posis, Maya uh, Solovitz, and we've talked about, you know, harm reduction. And it's it's interesting because uh, you'll see that Dr. Carl Hart and people like Maya and everything, they have some conflicting views about, you know, what harm reduction looks like, uh, how we should word it and all these other things. But yeah, that's kind of the point of this podcast. I love talking with a wide range of people on, you know, similar s topics to see what their opinions are, because I believe that a lot of these solutions come somewhere in the middle, but we have to be talking with one another and, you know, uh, have like honest discussions and disagreements and uh, debates so we can start, you know, uh, saving lives. You know what I mean? So I really appreciate and respect the work that Dr. Carl Hart's doing. I'm sad to see that, you know, he's, he's taken uh, quite a bit of a break, but maybe he'll be inspired in the future, but I'm glad, you know, because he, he works, he's been working hard for a long time, but, uh, yeah, make sure you're following him over on, on Twitter and please do yourself a favor, grab a copy of this book, uh, Drug Use for Grownups, all that's linked down in the description. Start having conversations about this, all right? But before I let you go, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Uh, I have, you know, a bunch, a bunch of stuff that I'm writing. I have the Newsweek piece coming out today. I write regularly over on Substack. I'm currently working on a new book, so you won't miss any of those updates if you're following me over on Twitter and Instagram. All right. And make sure you're following the podcast if you're not yet. And if you want to help out the podcast in a really easy way that does not cost you a penny of your hard-earned money, there's two really easy things that you can do. First one is share this episode. Share this episode. If you thought that Dr. Carl Hunt and I had an interesting conversation, if you think more people need to be educated on this topic, share this episode. But share any of the episodes that you find interesting, all right? Help get the word out there. The other thing that you could do that really helps a lot, even if you're listening on Spotify or Stitcher or some other platform, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating, leave a review. 
when you share, when you rate, when you review, all that stuff, it really helps get the word out. The algorithms love that stuff and it helps reach a new audience so we can, you know, grow this lovely community we have here where people love to learn and have conversations and all that. But some other ways you could support the podcast at therewiredsoul.com. I have self-published uh, some books. Uh, two of them are on addiction. One's more of a memoir of how I overcame my addiction, depression, anxiety, things that work for me. The other one is called Caught in the Crossfire. It is written for anybody who has a loved one struggling with addiction. I talk about intervention methods. I try to help you get into the mind of the addict. But most importantly, I want the person with an addict in their life, I want you to be all right. So it's an, uh, it has a lot of just tips for keeping your head on straight. All right. But another thing that you could do that helps support the podcast is down in the description, there is an affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy. One of the ways that I stay sober, one of the ways that I stop from going insane is through therapy. And I've personally used BetterHelp. Uh, so if you want to work with a, a, a therapist who is licensed from your state, it's affordable. It's convenient because you can do it online. You can text, you can video chat, all sorts of stuff. It's easy to switch therapists. If you don't like your own, like better help is the way to go. That affiliate link is down in the description. All right. But anyways, another huge thanks to Dr. Carl Hart for coming on. Make sure you follow him and grab a copy of his book. And yeah, for all of you, have an amazing rest of your day. And I'm not sure when the next episode is going up. I'm, I'm playing around with the idea of releasing one more on Friday because I'm starting to stack up on content again and I need to catch up. But anyways, make sure you're following me on social media so you don't miss out. All right. But until next time, have a good one and I'll see you then.